Welcome to the NARPM Podcast, where we bring you the most in-depth look into the property management industry. We discuss hot topics with property managers, vendors, and those that support the property management industry. The National Association of Residential Property Managers is the recognized leader in property management. Our host is Pete Newbig, co-founder of Empire Industries Property Management and co-founder and CEO of VPM Solutions, where property management meets global talent. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are that of the host and are not necessarily those of NARPM. Now, here's your host, Pete Newbig. Welcome, everybody, to the Norpum Podcast, and thank you for joining us today. However you may be listening, iHeartRadio, iTunes, YouTube, or through any of the podcast platforms, thank you for being here. I'm your host, Pete Newbig, and we have a great show today. We have John Bradford with Park Avenue Properties and PetScreening.com in North Carolina to discuss when a pet is not a pet, the ABCs of ESAs. So for those of you who do not know John, John is the founder of Park Avenue Properties in North Carolina and PetScreening.com. He's an entrepreneur and started two businesses. So anyone that knows John, though, knows that really, John, Jen Stoops really runs Park Avenue property. So let's be honest, right? She so, does. <laughs> he's serving his third term in the North Carolina House of Representatives. In his spare time, he likes to fish, camp, and travel with his family. So he owns two companies and is in the House of Representatives. So I can't imagine the fact that he actually still has time to fish and camp with his family is amazing. It shows you that he has great command of his time management. So a couple of things I didn't know about John when I asked him for his bio is that he has climbed the tallest mountain in the lower 48. What mountain was that, John? Mount Whitney. Mount Whitney. All right. And John was a college mascot. So quick story. When I first moved to Houston, I became very friendly with Clutch, the Rockets bear. And I have been in mascot skits for about four or five years with the Houston Rockets. I was on the court with Charles Barkley and Clyde Drexler and Akeem Olajuwon and a bunch of other Hall of Famers and me. And uh, which one of these does not belong there, right? So, uh, so that's great. That's great that he was a college mascot. Did not know that. So mm-hmm. we're going to talk a little bit. Uh, we're going to talk a lot to John here in the next few minutes. But first, I want to go over our hot topic for the day. The hot topic. So I, because we have pet screening on here, I want to talk a little bit about pet fees, the pet fee versus the pet deposit or the pet fee versus pet rent or how, you know, should we charge both? Should we charge all? What should we charge? Right. And so um, I like, um, I like not charging. So I using a negative here, but I don't like charging an upfront fee if I can charge a monthly fee. And there's a couple of reasons for that, right? So I don't like charging the pet fee upfront because it's a little bit of a barrier to entry, right? We're already asking people to pay one month and two months rent, right? One month rent plus, plus security deposit. And uh, maybe there's some, a couple other fees, maybe there's a lease processing fee or whatever fee. So if I can get rid of that up, upfront fee and charge a monthly pet fee, then that's going to make me more money over the long haul. Now, for those of you who are greedy and want to do both, or you can do both because that's in your market, God bless you, go for it. I like just doing one or the other. I'm not a big fan of a pet deposit. I'd rather a pet fee over a pet deposit. And the reason why I like a pet fee over a pet deposit is because we already have too many challenges with our security deposit dispositions. This just gives us another battle to fight with a, with a resident when they're asking money from their, from their pet deposit. So I'm already fighting with a security deposit. Now I got to find with a pet deposit. So it just gives me one more thing 
for a resident to fight me over or to take me to court. Okay. So I like a monthly pet fee over monthly pet rent. And the main reason is a monthly pet fee, that is a fee that I, as the property manager, is going to take. Okay. Where monthly pet rent, that's going to typically go to the owner. And then I may get a percentage of that if I'm a percent-based fee-based property manager. Now, you can't just charge fees to people and not have something in return to give them, right? So for the, the resident, by charging a monthly fee, that allows them to have their dog in their, in their property and allows them to not have that one-time fee. So it's a little bit easier for them to get in the property. But for the owner, that, especially if they were getting a pet rent, what we, we, we used to back it up at Empire with a pet guarantee, where if a resident does damage, the resident's pet does damage above and beyond a security deposit, then we would guarantee or promise that we would pay X amount of dollars above and beyond the pet damage. And so this way, it's a win-win-win, right? The resident only pays a monthly fee. The owner gets a, instead of a $200 or $300 pet deposit, they're getting 10 times that, maybe a $2,000 to $2,500 type of, of uh, promise. So they get a much bigger security, if, if you will. So that's my kind of my rant of the day on, on, on pet fees. And we'll talk a little bit more, John, about all of that stuff. So, so Johnny, thank you for joining me. I really appreciate you. We go back a few years. So real quick, how did you get into the PM business? And then how did you make the pivot in starting pet screening? Yeah. So first of all, Pete, thanks for having me to your show here. And you're doing a great job and love that intro. So I was a sales executive for IBM Corporation for a decade, literally 10 years. I left five days shy of my 10-year anniversary. And I was in sales and I was able to meet all my targets or quotas, probably another way of saying that. And so I saved my little commissions like a chipmunk and I started buying real estate um, this was really in the years of 2005 through seven before the market crashed, maybe th 2003 through five is maybe the better years of when I was doing it. But I was just buying homes as rentals and I was buying them for myself. And uh, next thing I know, I had a couple other IBM colleagues that said, hey, John, go find me a house. I actually went to night school. <laughs> I went to a local uh, community college to get my real estate license in North Carolina, we're a licensure state. Uh, not all states. I think most states have licenses for real estate, but I, I, don't, I don't know if all states do. But North Carolina does. So I had to go to class. So I went at night. And once I got my license, I was representing myself and saw that, hey, I can make a, a good living representing others, uh, investors, if you will, and then turning around and managing them. And that's really how Park Avenue was born. I picked a name that I thought sounded sexy. I, I thought Park Avenue properties sounded a lot better than John Bradford properties. And so I, it was available uh, in our Secretary of State database. So I locked it down. You know, I did, I had Park Avenue for the better of, I don't know, 12, 13 years. Last December, I actually did roll Park Avenue properties up into a company called Pure. I, I don't know if you know that or not, but Park Avenue properties is still, a, is now a Pure company. And I did that uh, for a lot of different reasons, but most important, you know, people like Jennifer, who was truly running Park Avenue, you know, yeah, she continues. people. <laughs> I don't know, no doubt. I, uh, you know, she works hard and there's no, I think people in the industry know that. And it was important to me that there was an opportunity opportunity for her and the rest of my employees. I, I wanted everyone to have an opportunity and, and, and Pure, I think, clearly gave us that and they're proving it. They've, they've done amazing work in just a year. So I had the, you know, I serve in the House of Representatives. I think many of your listeners may know that and you mentioned it in my bio. So I started public service, gosh, nine years ago, Pete. 
started off as a town councilman. We call them commissioners. And so I was a town commissioner. And then a opportunity presented itself to run for the North Carolina House of Representatives. So in 2000, I guess, 14, I ran. And so I served a couple of terms. I'm in my third term now. And I was in a, a meeting, actually, 2000. I remember this, 2016, Pete. I was at the Las Vegas NARPM Broker Conference. And I had just rolled off the national board, Pete. I was on the board for quite some time. And so I was really no longer beholden to having to dress up for the meetings. And so I wasn't even, by the way, I was in session. And so when we're in session, we vote and and I don't want to miss votes. But it just so happened, Pete, that for whatever reason, at the last minute, the week of the broker uh, conference, the Speaker of the House here in North Carolina announced that we'd have no votes. It would be a no vote session. So I booked a ticket last minute and went to this conference and didn't even really tell people I was coming because everyone knew that I was in session and I couldn't make it. So I think it was a kind of a surprise to folks that I'd showed up and Pete, I was wearing jeans and a baseball cap because once again, I didn't have to wear a suit to a NARPA. I didn't recognize you from- It was awesome. I literally felt like I was in an incognito. And for those listeners that have gone to the NARPA broker events, they typically are main tent sessions, right? They're big rooms, kind of one topic. I think there are breakout sessions now, but back then it was typically main tent event type meetings. So one big room with about 900 brokers across the country. And the speaker was the deputy secretary of HUD's enforcement division. His name was Brian Green. And he was there, Pete, speaking about HUD topics. And I think Brian thought he was going to talk about, you know, familial status and disparate impact and assistance animals for his one hour. But he started with assistance animals, Pete, and he never left the subject for the entire hour. In fact, there were so many people in that room that were asking questions about this topic. There were three microphones spread across the room. It was such a big uh, room because it's Vegas. Everything's big, right? And uh, he could ne- the poor guy could never get off the topic. And a lot of our members were kind of asking the same question a different way. We call that piling on. And But he was kind enough to keep answering the question despite it being asked, you know, two questions prior. But nonetheless, it was in that room. And this is no joke. It was in that room that I just sort of had this, I don't know, I guess if there was ever such thing as an epiphany and the, the sun comes out behind the clouds and a beam of sunshine gets on your forehead and the angels sing and you can make the angel noise if you'd like, Pete. And, uh, you know, you know, it happened. I thought, you know, I could go figure out a way to help the industry. And I had already proven myself as a lawmaker in North Carolina that carried a lot of our tenant land law legislation. So I was kind of the go-to guy for tenant landlord law anyway. So that's where the idea started. I didn't find the name pet screening until maybe a month later. I was looking for domains and came across pet screening and everything on pet screening was screens for pet doors. So it was a screen for a pet door. And so I love the name pet screening, locked it down. And, and so that's really how pet screening was born. I know it was a long answer, but I, it's kind of fun because I think if you're involved in NARPOM, it just goes to show that if you engage and go to meetings, you never know what might happen. Well, it just also shows that the, the entrepreneurial spirit, which, which I love that, right? So you were property manager. You saw that you had this challenge. You saw oh, that yeah. everybody else in that room, that was like the number one challenge. It was. HUD knows it's a challenge. Sure. So you have to go and solve that challenge. Yeah, and, and it still I, is. And I <laughs> it think still it, it still is. And I think you did an amazing job. But for those, you who are, for those out there listening that may not know what an ESA versus service animal is, can you kind of explain what the sure. difference is and where the big challenges are? 
Yeah, so I, it, you almost have to start back in 2013 when HUD issued what you know people in the industry called the memo. There was a memo called the HUD Assistance Animal Memo, and it was just a couple pages long, but it was the guiding document for the rental housing industry as it related to assistance animals. And, and I'll be careful not to get down too far in the weeds because I, I, I can do that, but I don't want to. Just understand that when you go to a restaurant, if you go to dinner tonight at a restaurant, you see a dog at the table next to you. That dog is under a different set of guidelines than the guidelines that are applied to rental housing. So if it's a, uh, what they call a um, public accommodation, any place that's open to the public, restaurants, theaters, hotels, you know, your office, if you have an office. Airplanes, airplanes, uh, airplanes, airplanes, yeah. Those, those accommodations fall under the ADA. And so ADAs deal with service uh, animals only. And everyone knows that service animals are, I think everyone knows, but service animals are dogs and miniature horses. Those are the two types of service animals that are permissible under the ADA. But what a lot of people, what a lot of people did not realize is in housing, ADA was not the governing sort of set of documents. It was really HUD and the Fair Housing Act. And HUD back in 2013 viewed service animal as a type of assistance animal. So an assistance animal was sort of a more generic term, but assistance animal in the context of housing wasn't just service animals. It was also ESA, which everyone knows, emotional support animals. It was also companion animals, therapy animals. So you pick the buzzword. HUD just said, you know what, we're going to call all of these animals one thing and we're going to call them assistance animals. And they had a, a set of guidelines out there in this memo that left a lot to be desired. And I'm not critical of HUD because HUD is balancing disability advocacy groups, they're balancing the needs of landlords, they're balancing uh, you know, the needs of healthcare providers. So HUD finds himself sort of in a three-way pickle trying to you know, make sure people who have disabilities get what they need, but also making sure that people don't take advantage. And that's, that can be a real tough place to be, frankly. So that, that document governed for seven years. And in 2020, right before the world shut down because of the COVID pandemic, HUD released a new document. And the new document, it came out January 28th of 2020. I know because I was on a cruise ship coming back from a trip that I had gone on with my spouse. And I'm like, wouldn't you know that I'd be in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean when they re release these new documents? I had no cell service. I'm on the, I'm, I'm, you know, who knows where I am out in the ocean, but I did have email. So I start reading this new notice. And what happened was, Pete, HUD didn't make an addenda to the 2013 memo. They ripped and replaced it. Yeah, so basically it. you threw that old document away and now you have this new document and it went into effect immediately. Now we have a 19 page document that just got released and it's now the new guidelines. And what, what's important about this new guidelines is kind of what you mentioned, service animals versus ESAs. HUD has now decided to no longer just refer to them globally as assistance animals, but they now have a bifurcated process for service animals, which is different than that of support animals. And an ESA is a type of support animal. So I will tell you, if you're a property manager, you used to just have to know how to review assistance animals. There was one way to do it. Now you have to understand, well, hang on, is this a service animal or a support animal? If it's a service animal, there's a much limited, narrowly tailored inquiry type uh, methodology that you can perform. 
versus a support animal, you have a more detailed inquiry that you can perform, including documentation requirements, et cetera. And for a typical property pause, manager- Pause you right there, Johnny, just real quick. So, yeah. one of the, so what he's saying though, is that if you ask the wrong stuff to the, to the people, depending on ESA or, or a service animal, you can be in violation of fair housing. Is that, is that a correct statement? Yeah, there's no doubt that is a true statement. So move on. Yeah. I just want to make that- No, no, that's perfect. Yeah, I mean, you have to look, if you're going to be a professional property manager and you're going to be working for clients who hire you, their expectation is that you understand not only tenant landlord law as it relates to your municipality, if there's any ordinances or your state, but most certainly federal too. And these are federal guidelines, not to take away from any states that have passed their own ESA legislation, but states, I know this firsthand, states, you can, you, you know, states have sovereignty, they can do things, you know, that they want to do, but they cannot violate federal law and they most certainly cannot make things more restrictive. So a state does not have the right to make it more difficult to get a, a service animal or ESA. They can actually relax the standards. Pete, a great example would be all of your listeners in California. If you're in California, California relaxed the standard on service animals as it relates to service animals and housing, because in the new guidance, service animals are limited to dogs only. Okay, dogs only. But California says we allow any type of service animal. So again, you have to know this stuff or you get yourself in a precarious situation. You may find yourself defending your actions. So now like one of the big challenges that we have as property managers is that when people come in or that prospects, prospective tenants come and they say, hey, I have, I have a, a, an ESA pet. Right. Right? So what are some of the things that I can ask for? What's the documentation that they should have? And then what are some of the things that they're doing to circumvent that? Yeah. So, so I mean, it's always so, a catch, catch me if you can type scenario. Yeah. So if someone says they specifically have an ESA, well, the first thing you should do is, is, is have this 19 page notice, probably a pretty handy at your office because it really does try to guide you on what you can do. Obviously pet screening can help you with this, but notwithstanding pet screening, if you're going on this alone, okay, no problem, go for it. You probably want to have that 19 page document at your fingertips and it tries to outline how what you're allowed to do, what you can ask, et cetera. And the first thing you would want to make sure is that you really understand, is this a service animal or support animal? If they specifically say ESA, then you know it's a support animal. So now you know, okay, I need to go down the inquiry method of the support animal. And what your, what your role, uh, and, and this is permissible, you know, you have the right to make sure that this individual who is seeking an accommodation request meaning they're asking you to set aside your pet policies, whether it's a no pet policy or a pet policy on size or breed, fees, they're asking you to set that aside and let them bring in their animal because an animal in this context is not the same thing as a pet. And if that's in fact what they're requesting, then you have all the rights to make sure that it meets the Fair Housing Act guidelines. And so for an ESA, you have the right to ask for documentation. And, you know, a lot of people use forms, but I want to encourage you that forms, you know, yeah, you can use a form, but you can't require them. Even our own pet screening customers, you know, you can encourage them to use pet screening. And I tell you, 99.9% of these individuals do, but every now and then you may run across someone that says, you know, I don't use computers, so I can't use pet screening because I don't have a computer. I don't even know how to use computers. And in that case, you can't cross your arms and say, too bad, too sad. You don't use pet screening. You don't have a computer. So, you, you, you know, we can't help you. You have to be ready to, to, to help them any way that you can. And so that means you have to be willing to, you know, find a workaround. And for someone that 
you know, doesn't want to use your form or someone that may not have a computer and can't use pet screening, you still have to help them. You don't get to turn your back on them. So you can ask them to give you documentation. And that documentation comes in many forms, Pete. Prescriptions from doctors, letters from therapists, letters from counselors. I would be very careful to explain explain what you need and just let them give you what they think they need. Because at the end of the day, Pete, if they're seeking an accommodation request, they should know what they need to have the accommodation met. And so let them submit whatever and whatever they give you, you should review it. And you're going to be looking for, is there a disability and a disability related need? Somewhere in that documentation, there must be language that affirms there is a disability and a disability-related need for the animal. Now, let me be clear here, Pete. No one should ask someone specific questions about their disability. It's, it's, when I was growing up, we called it nunya. It's nunya business. Nunya business. Now, can you make sure the doctors... Let me ask Go ahead. Um, what are, you guys are running... How many, how many screenings a month are you guys doing now? We're doing, I mean, let's see, we've a lot. I mean, we're probably doing six to 7,000 accommodation request reviews monthly we're reviewing as a company. Wait, and then we're screening the, hun, hun, hundreds of thousands of pets a quarter. Yeah. So what are some of the, the things that you're seeing some of these prospects do to try to say that they have an ESA when it's not really an ESA? Like, are, are you still, are you seeing fake certifications or what, what are you seeing out there? That yeah, we, you know, I will, uh, yeah, let me just give you some statistics. So we, as, a, as of this show, your podcast here, we've reviewed 125,000 reasonable accommodation requests for across the country, 125,000 and growing very quickly. And that's a lot of work. When I went and saw HUD, my chief legal counsel and I went and saw HUD uh, October of 2019, right before the pandemic hit. And we had done 12,000. So from 19 to now, we've, we've done an additional 100,000. That's how fast we've grown and continue to grow, which is exciting, but it's a lot of work because our team reviews these individually each and every time. But I want to tell you 60%, so do quick math, 60% of that 125,000. So that's going to be 25,000. So let's call it 100,000 people of that 125, 100,000 of them did not meet the guidelines did not meet the guidelines as a monster number. I don't want to assert here on your show that those 100,000 people are committing fraud because that's really not the case. Most of the times, Pete, it's because they don't have what they need to affirm their request. They just don't have what they need. And it's their responsibility to get what they need. And if they do not provide the things they need to meet the standard, then guess what? It's not an animal. It's a pet. And so do we find fraud? Absolutely. Some of the things we find on, on the fraud side are fraudulent signatures. And we know this, Pete, because one of the steps we do is we contact the healthcare providers. We actually contact every single healthcare provider. And we're not asking the doctor, hey, doctor, does this person really have PTSD? No, we never ask those questions. You never can inquire about someone's disability, the specific nature. But you can call a healthcare provider and say, hey, I have this document from you know, Susie Q. Jones, and it's dated this date, and it's signed by this healthcare provider from your clinic. Can you affirm that this is an authentic document and that you have personal knowledge of this patient? And then they'll go look them up in the system and they may go, uh, we don't see this patient. And then they'll ask for a copy of it. And then you can say, okay, well, I'll send you a copy of it because it was provided to me as proof. And since it has your letterhead on it, you have the right to see it. And then if they get a copy of it, they may go, gosh, this is not in our system. This is a fraudulent letter. 
And we have that a fair amount. Uh, altered dates is a big one. They'll, they'll change a date or they'll change a name. So Pete, you come in with Pete's name on it, but, but your best friend, Brian, really needs the letter. So they'll use software to change Pete to Brian. And then we call the doctor's office. They go, we don't have a Brian here. And that's because Brian's not in their system. Pete is. And that's fraud. So a couple of things, Johnny. Yeah. Um, what I've noticed when I ran Empire and from talking to the property managers, what happens is you ask for the documentation. You get the documentation. You just say, yep, they got the documentation. You let them in. Right. We don't have a good gatekeeping system. Most of us don't. That's why at Empire, I went with PetScreening.com. And yeah. then there was one instance when we had a prospective tenant. They said they had a, I think it was a service animal. So normally those are, are kind of cut and dry, you know, but we did PetScreening.com denied him. And he made a big stink to my team and my team wanted to put him in there. I said, no, 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 no. I said, we have to, let's call, let's call PetScreening. And we actually got your counsel on the phone, got Pet Screen's counsel on the phone and walked us through why they denied it. And in this case, it was just the paperwork was outdated. He needed to, the prospective tenant needed to go get updated paperwork. And so the animal was no longer a animal, but a pet because it expired. And so these are the, these are the details that you guys catch. And what, what I was finding is before we hire pet screening, if a prospect tenant, if they, if they just gave us some documentation or made a big enough stink and they said they're going to call fair housing or whatever it was, we would literally let them in. Not, not, not a great job for the owner, right? Let's be honest. But we also were very nervous about, about, because we, we didn't know our processes, right? So if you are a product manager company or even a leasing agent, because they, they, these, you know, leasing agents deal with this all the time too, that you don't have good policies and good processes and you don't know about that document and when to ask what questions and, and to, to really be able to, to, do, to do the screening that it takes. That's then right. you need a company like Pet Screening because they are going to keep you out of fair housing. Uh, and you're right. And, and, you know, Pete, and we're not punitive. Like I didn't come up with this idea of pet screening to try to attack people that claim they have assistance animals. There are people that legitimately need these animals for their quality of life. And they're not the problem. It's the right. bad actors who are trying to circumvent pet policies or breed policies or weight policies, whatever it may be. And so they just go you know, and try to beat the system. And we don't make the rules of pet screening. We just make sure everyone understands the rules. If you think about bowling and you go bowling and you hit those bumpers that pop up, I, I just say we're the bumpers. Like we're just here to keep you in the bumpers. And if you get outside the bumper, guess what? You don't meet the, you don't meet the guidelines. And we have attorneys that are renting properties going through this process. And, you know, and they don't, you know, they're okay with it because again, we're not, I mean, we follow the law. We understand the law. You can imagine me as a state lawmaker, the headline would be <laughs> John Bradford is hurting people with disabilities. That would never fly. And we take, a very, high, term, we take a very high standard here at pet screening. Uh, we really, really do. And I'm very proud of that. We don't, you know, that 60%, those hundred thousand people that I mentioned that did not meet the guidelines. I'm not even like holding their credit card or debit card in safekeeping. And then if they don't meet it, then we go and charge them. We don't even do that. We don't even take a form of payment from someone seeking an accommodation request. End of story. So it's, this is not about making money. It's, it's about doing the right thing. And many of those people, Pete, then go and convert their request to a pet. And then they pay our pet application fee. Now you get the FIDO score, the property manager. Now you can charge pet fees and pet rents. But guess who converted it from an animal to a pet? 
It wasn't Pete and Empire. It wasn't property manager ABC. And it wasn't even pet screening. They self-convert from an animal request to a pet request after they realize that they don't have what it takes to meet the guidelines. Right. And HUD has praised us, by the way, for, you know, and I'm being kind of generic here, but we've gone up to HUD's office in D.C. We've met with the Office of Enforcement and, and we have received very positive remarks about the way we approach this. You know, HUD is not going to endorse any company. They're a government agency, nor did we ask for the endorsement. But what I will tell you is we are making sure that everything we do aligns with, you know, the intent of the document, the document. And we know because when that 19 page document came out, Pete, in January of 28 of 2020, within three days, we had a white paper out that our chief legal counsel developed. We sent it to HUD in DC. We got on a conference call with HUD in DC and we reviewed it to make sure our white paper was spot on. We got a little bit more clarity than we, than we didn't have before that call. We adjusted our white paper accordingly. There's no other company or lawyer or anyone in this country that probably has done that. We have. You guys are by far the experts in the industry in, 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 this, in this field. So let's talk, John, let's talk a little bit about how a property management company can implement not just pet screening, but pet screening and using petscreening.com. Sure. So, so for example, like we know like when we get a prospective tenant and if they say they have an ESA or a service animal, we cannot charge them a, any kind of pet fee and we cannot charge them even a pet application fee, right? Now, petscreening.com makes their money by charging pet application fees. So are you, if somebody does have a, a true ESA and it becomes a true ESA, you guys are basically doing that work for free. Is that- We do, yeah, we absolutely do it for free. In fact, we don't even take a credit card or debit card number. So there's never a chance that they could even get accidentally charged. Amazing, yeah. So now if, I, if, if I'm a property manager company, I do not have a process for this. And a process is we, you know, we just hit the card or whatever. That is a valid violation of fair housing. Could be a violation of fair housing. Yeah, it would be. In fact, I, I sometimes hear, you know, my hairs on the back of my neck stand up sometimes and I hear a property manager says, oh yeah, we just go ahead and take their pet fee and we wait until, you know, pet screening's done. And if you say it's an animal, then we refund their money. Yeah. And I'm not here to tell you to do that or not to do that. I'm here to tell you, don't do it. Okay, very, thank you, Pete. I would probably encourage you to say, you know what? If you find yourself forced that you have to let them move in before pet screening is done, because our process does take several days because we're calling the healthcare provider. We're often waiting on the requester. That's the person who's actually asking for the request. So we get slowed down by the parties involved. And so if you say, gosh, this person's got to move in tomorrow, we recommend making what they call a temporary accommodation. Just let them in as an animal, put it in the lease that the, this process is not done, but if the process works out so that it's not recommended, meaning it's not an assistance animal because they don't meet the standard, then you have the ability to either have them remove that animal or, start, or, or remove that pet, because it would be really a pet, or start charging them pet fees. I, I don't think I would charge them first and then refund them. You may have some attorneys that say that's okay. If you have counsel telling you that's okay, then feel free to follow your counsel. I will just tell you that HUD really likes the fact that pet screening takes a very, very high standard. And I think that a high standard should apply even to a property manager. Take the high standard. If they say it's an animal and you got to move them in tomorrow and we're not done or you're doing it on your own and you haven't got to it yet, then let it be an animal until you get to it. But I don't think I'd call it a pet. And then refund the money because if you forget or, or someone on your team is supposed to refund the money and then they quit on you, which does happen, and the money never goes back, 
you are opening yourself up to a giant problem with a fair housing discrimination point. So how much does pet screening cost for the employer? It's for the, oh, for the property management company. Uh, company. Yep. Free. Uh, free. free. It, it, you ha- you, I will say this though. There's a small star here. You got to be pet friendly. If you don't allow pets, I have no way to make money. So if you're a no pet company, and I'm not talking like if you have an owner or two that says they don't allow pets. I'm talking about if you take your whole portfolio, let's say you manage 300 homes. And if you say, John, you know, I got 10 owners that don't allow pets, but I got 290 owners that do. Okay, great. We can help you. Just generally speaking, if you're a pet friendly property management firm and you allow pets, then we are going to be a free service for you. There are cases where if you don't send us enough pets, meaning you're not really taking this serious and you're only sending me all your animals because animals, everyone takes serious. But I often have seen a few firms that just, they don't really take it serious and they don't, they send us some pets, but not all pets. Well, now I have no way to make revenue and we will turn your service off on the assistance animal side, or we're going to make you pay for it. So for, for your normal firms though, that you truly embrace the product and use it the way they're supposed to, it's free as can be. Now you mentioned that you, you, you actually do screening for no pets. So tell me more. Yeah, this is a big one. This is a big one. Yeah. Because most, I know when I worked for mind after I rolled up into mind management, they kept asking me because I, I got, I believe pet screening does work with mine now, right? So we do. Yeah. And you're, we appreciate your leadership because we, they've rolled us out company-wide. So we made, so we made that connection and mine kept asking me, well, why do we have to use them for no pet? So can right. you, cause I never could do explain it really, really well. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, you being the, the pet screening guru, sure. why should I send somebody who has no pets to petscreening.com? Now, yeah, gr- great question. And first, let me just tell you, I wish I could tell you this was my idea when I first had pet screening. It wasn't. I was focused on pets and animals. And at the time, I was like, well, if you don't have a pet, if you don't have an animal, then obviously you don't need to come to us. But one of our larger multifamily companies, Graystar, in fact, they're the largest property management company in the, in the country. I mean, they manage 800,000 units, okay? We had a Graystar regional manager that said, John, we need help with pets and animals, yes. But you know what we really need help? We need help with people that say they have no pets and then we see them walking their dog on site. And I'm like, huh. So I had this idea. This is probably my second epiphany, no joke. I'm like, we need a no pet profile. So here's why. When you move into an apartment or a rental, a single family rental, and you say you have no pet, no problem. But what's happening is these individuals have girlfriends and boyfriends and partners and parents that come visit for the weekend every weekend and bring their dogs. Or maybe they have someone that's spending the night, like halfway a roommate. Through, halfway through the lease, they end up getting a pet. They and forget to tell you. That's a, and, and that's the other one. They get a pet because they think COVID out of sight, happened. out of mind. COVID it happens, happens, everybody happens gets all pet, the time. Right? It happens all the time. So a no pet profile, first of all, it's free. We do not charge anyone who does not have a pet any kind of money. It's free. It is no Is charge. there a charge to the resident on the no pet profile? Nope, free. Free to the resident. Free to the resident, free to the property manager. We, we could never charge someone without a pet. That'd be really goofy. That, I mean, that'd be capitalism at its best if we could figure out a way to do that. If we could figure that out. <laughs> yeah, I'll call you. But no charge for anyone. I know a couple of property managers that probably could figure it out, John. You're probably right. I can think of one or two. But it's completely free to the resident, applicant, property manager. But what we're doing is we're getting them on the record acknowledging that no pet really extends to no pet sitting, no pet fostering, no visitors with pets, not without the property property manager's permission. I understand they may get a pet halfway through their lease. Well, great. Just call your property manager and then they'll send you through pet screening, get that pet typically screened and you can, you start paying pet rent or pet fees and you're off to the races. So that no pet profile 
protects the property manager and also your owners that you work for. Because now if there's a dog bite that gets reported and you go, wait a minute, that, that resident doesn't even have a dog. Well, now if they have a no pet profile on the record, you'll be able to show a judge and jury, hey, this person said they had no pet when they moved in and they knew all the rules, including no visiting pets. And this dog that bit someone was their girlfriend's dog or their boyfriend's dog. And it really helps protect the owners and the property managers. The no pet profile, Pete, is almost as popular as our assistance animal one. It's really amazing. I would agree. I I would think so. And again, this is something that you can market to your owners if you're a property manager company about how you are protecting them. Yeah, absolutely. And we got to talk about the FIDO score, right? I want to talk about FIDO. We're going to talk about that real quick. But before that, the other thing that you mentioned that I want to I want to bring up to our audience is that you the documentation is there in PetScreening.com, and you guys have all the documentation which we have access to through your site. So now you don't like you're not having to worry about putting stuff in your lease or whatever, or 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 getting this documentation uploading into your you know portfolio or propertyware or building whatever you have. John has it. You have a login to your site. So before we talk about the PAW score and the FIDO score, talk a little bit about what the what your site can do because you sure. guys do everything on like honestly to me this was the easy button and I think that's like we were able to implement it at, at Empire and at Mind. We don't, it's like okay they do it all. They give us all of the notifications that we need to and then we can go in and we can run reporting and we can that's see right. all of the documentation. So just tell us a little bit about what visibility you have now in your own portfolio. First of all, we can we have a one-way integration with Appfolio, Propertyware, a lot of the major platforms that are out there. We have a one-way, it's called a flat file integration. We have an onboarding team that will work with you to get that set up. So that way your software platform generates a report for your company on a, on a daily basis, for example, and then it sends it to our product, which then reads it. So our dashboard mirrors your dashboard. It's pretty slick. So we have that functionality. If you don't use the integration, which I'm not sure why you wouldn't. So if you're using pet screening and you're not integrated, you probably want to reach out to us and say, hey, I heard about this flat file integration. It takes just minutes for us to get that turned on and we will help you do that. But Every company gets their own landing page and you can customize that landing page with your logos. You can upload your own lease addenda. If you you do have your own pet addenda or animal addenda, we want this very much to feel like it's your company and not pet screening because the goal is not to send them to petscreening.com. In fact, we don't want them there. We want them at your landing page because now we know that pet belongs to your company. And so it's easy. I mean, I promise you, we have come every day I come in and we have probably 10 new companies that signed up overnight and we never even talked to them. They sign up on their own and they're off to the races. That's how easy it is. So John, but if you want the integration, we can help you. I'm a little bit of a data geek. And if you, if you know me, you know, I'm big on KPIs. I'm big on reports and all that good stuff. And one of the things that I really liked about pet screening was I now knew how many animals or how many pets or like, that we we put in each month. I knew I, I got to the point where I knew the percentage of my portfolio that had pets. I knew the percentage of people that had assistance animals. Uh, so we actually so you start gathering this data, and so now you know what can you do with that data? Well, you can see like okay, I can become more pet friendly because we have way more pets coming in, or hey, this assistance thing is becoming a hot topic because twenty percent of all the animals that are coming in are assistance animals, and you can start playing around with that data, and you can make you know, policy changes and process changes. And even you can increase some fees if, if possible, based on the data. 
That, I mean, you're exactly right. Data is king, and you'll know more about the pets in your portfolio than you've ever known before, which is really the problem. Most property managers, they may know you have a dog, but they don't know what kind. They don't have photos, or if they do, it's a poor photo. I mean, this is truly the pet it's management a, platform. Johnny, for property it's managers. a lot of work. It's a lot of work, you know, just doing the, the, the background screening for the applicants a lot. Yeah. So by the time you get to the animal, the, the pet, you know, yeah, it's like half the stuff's not filled out. You're like, whatever, just give right. me my money. It's That's right. It's, it's, you're right. And my firm was guilty of it. My, even my own firm, as, as organized as I thought we were, even my own firm was getting what I'd call inconsistent information. And I just kind of proved it out and said, well, even my own company who had in-house counsel, by the way, we had our own lawyer and, and our staff, and we still weren't getting consistent information. And I felt like we were a pretty well-run shop. So pet screening is truly the pet management platform for the housing industry, for sure. All right. So in background screening, we, we have a credit report. We, we kind of have, you know, we have that credit reporting. So in background screening for pets, you've created the PAW score or the FIDO score, whatever you call it. Yeah. The the FIDO score. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the FIDO score, first of all, it's a trademark term. Love FIDO score. First of all, this score, <laughs> trademark. So the FIDO score is for the property manager only. So it's important to know that the pet owner isn't even getting a copy of the FIDO score because I never wanted a pet owner to think that we're saying their dog is a good dog or bad dog because it's really not about that. It's about the housing related risk that a dog and its owner, because the pet owners, Pete, are really the problem. I mean, let's just call a spade a spade. The pet owners are the problem. But, you know, we wanted a score that sort of summarized the pet and the pet owner together. And so we do a FIDO score or a PAW score. The reason we call it PAW score is because, you know, everyone knows Google has one to five stars. We do one to five PAWs. A five PAW score is our highest score. A one PAW score is our lowest score. And we do have a zero PAW score that is completely customizable by the property manager. So if you don't allow, I'm just going to pick on German Shepherds for a moment. And I love German Shepherds, but we'll use that breed. If you say, John, we do not allow German Shepherds, you can set your score up for the zero PAW to be a zero for German Shepherds. And any German Shepherd or any mixed breed that has German Shepherd in it will be flagged as a zero. And your team will know, and you can decide, well, how do you move ahead? Do you turn that dog down? Do you charge that dog extra money? The, the scoring system is for your use. A lot of our clients use the scoring to drive more revenue. Some of them use it just to make better decisions or both. It's really up to you. The greatest example I can give would be if you have a golden retriever puppy, America's dog, golden retriever, hello, great, great dogs. But a male, unneutered, unvaccinated puppy is going to have more risk for you, the landlord and your owner, because why? It's a puppy. It's gonna be chewing on the baseboard. It's gonna be you know, using the bathroom for at least a year before it's potty trained. We're not telling you not to rent to the golden retriever puppy for heaven's sakes. What we're saying is there's a low FIDO score. You may wanna charge more. And that's really what the FIDO score helps do. That's a great, you know, it's another way to make, to make a little bit of, of revenue. For sure. Who is the property manager. At Empire and at Mind, we actually had you know, the lower the score, the higher the monthly fee for the, uh, for the, for the administration fee. And then we backed it up by the guarantee. And if you do a one-time fee, that's great too, but have different levels. That's of right. Fees. And, and, and you may say, well, how do you do that if, if they don't know what the FIDO score is? So we give you the FIDO score, but then we also list out the factors that kind of attribute the score to what it is. So you can talk to your applicant about the factors with ever, without ever mentioning the word FIDO score. So when you say, hey, age, you got a young dog here or vaccination. Hey, you got a dog that's not vaccinated. I don't even rent to unvaccinated dogs. I mean, there's, there's all kinds of factors, but at least we give you 
the, the words to go talk to your applicant about. And, you know, sometimes and they'll say, the, no, I won't keep it on a leash fee. And in the qualifications, you want to put a range of what you're going to charge. Correct. So your range. 25 yep. to $75 per month. That's right? exactly right. Mr. Yep. Prospective tenant, you qualify for the 25. You've had, you, your dog has been vaccinated and blah, blah, blah. That's or right. Mr. Resident. So if you put that range in there and they get charged at 75, they're, they're not, it's not a surprise, right? It's not, it's, a not a, it's not a surprise. And we'll give you the factors to explain why, you know, it's a lower score, which lets you articulate why, you know? Yep. Scaling your business means juggling many moving parts, leaving you wondering how to manage it all. How can you keep your eye on growth and streamline your operations? At RentBridge, we've created the Property Management Operating System, an ecosystem for property management marketing and process automation, where you can view and take action on the most important aspects of your operations, from sales and new owner onboarding to leasing, collections, renewals, and more. By bringing operations and marketing under one platform, you can have end-to-end -end visibility of your owners, tenants, and vendors from the first moment they interact with you, allowing you to add more doors with less effort and scale a truly profitable property management business. To learn more, visit rentbridgegroup.com today. Did you know that most tenants struggle to come up with a large sum of money needed to move into their new rental home? Let Renters Insurance Solutions help you solve this problem by giving tenants another option for security deposits. Property managers can make up to $200 per door annually with our programs. Learn more at our website, yourris.com. That's Y-O-U-R-R-I-S.com. Renters Insurance Solutions, your experts in property management and insurance. All right. So, Johnny, in the interest of time, I'm going to stop yes. here, but we have the lightning round. So okay, I'm let's do ask it. Ask you a series of questions. So all right. I don't have special effects for this one. So the lightning <laughs> round. All right. Like all right. So yeah, I know you're not with Park Avenue, but I'm going to ask you a couple of stuff about Park Avenue real quick. So what PM software did you use at Park Avenue? Propertyware. Propertyware. What is your current organizational structure at, at Park Avenue? So we do team kind of team management. We have teams that will manage a group of properties. Do you use virtual assistants in either of your businesses? No. Okay. Do you have BDMs at Park Avenue? Uh, I mean, we, we do. We have, we have one business development specialist. So, yes, yeah, so we do have a BDM. Yeah, I know you have them for pet screening because I've talked to them. Well, yeah, we, have, yeah, we do have BDMs. We, we have, yeah, so in that terms, yes, we have salespeople who are out looking for new business. What is one piece of advice you would give someone just starting out in the PM business other than use pet screening? Uh, don't ask anyone on your team not to do anything you wouldn't do yourself. I love that one. Does pineapple belong on pizza? Oh, no, for sure. No way. And that's my own heart. What book are you currently reading or one that has impacted your business or life? You know, I, 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 I always tell people I'm, I'm not a voracious reader. The stuff I read tends to be business articles. But I will say that Sam Walton's original book, there's the whole book on how Walmart started, it was is really profoundly impactful if you just want to read about a guy who truly hustled. I mean, it's a, a paperback version. Uh, I think is only what's available. He's got this giant trucker hat in the photo. Computers weren't even out, by the way. I actually Pete. read that book. Actually, I okay. read that book. Yeah, great book. I mean, you'll read it and go, wow, some of this isn't relevant because computers were started coming out towards right. the end of his journey. But I think the lessons of that book 
are meaningful because he Time. got up every day and worked hard and, and really got his teams excited about what they were doing. And I think that still stands today. What comic book character do you most associate with? Comic book character? <laughs> Let me see. Um, oh, my heavens. Um, Hank Hill. <laughs> For you younger young people, look that one up. Google them. They'll have to Google Hank Hill. What is one challenge you're currently facing in your business? Just keep keeping up with growth and making sure we're you know, responding to that uh, as nimble as we can. All right, last one. Which do you prefer, dogs or cats? Dogs. Dog man. All right. Dog man. Well, listen, Johnny, I appreciate your it's been time. Fun. Yeah, Pete, thank, thank you. you so much. It's been fun. It's been a great podcast. For those of you who are interested in joining NARPM, please go to narpm.org or give them a call at 800 782 have you ever considered hiring a property management virtual assistant, but didn't know where to start? Or have you tried hiring a virtual assistant, but you weren't satisfied with the number of qualified applicants? If so, VPM Solutions is here to help. VPM is the world's first virtual talent marketplace dedicated specifically to property management and real estate. We have thousands of talented virtual assistants ready to work for you, including assistance for accounting, leasing, maintenance coordination, rent collections, and much more. With VPM, you can post jobs, screen candidates, hire and pay your virtual assistants, all from within our state-of-the-art platform. VPM is the easy button for hiring and managing your virtual team. And the best part? VPM Solutions is 100% free to employers. That's right, free. No placement fees, no employer markups, and no hidden charges. With VPM, property managers get the talent they need while reducing costs and improving customer service. Visit vpmsolutions.com and create your free account today. This has been a production of the National Association of Residential Property Managers, the recognized leader in property management, along with your host, Pete Newbig, CEO of VPM Solutions, where property management meets global talent. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are that of the host and are not necessarily those of NARPM. If you have a hot topic you'd like discussed on the podcast, please email us at radio at narpum.org.